This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, Shannon shares what parents need to know about living trusts, which is our next area of focus in our estate planning deep dive series. Shannon shares what a living trust is and the considerations you need to make when creating one. As important as this piece of the estate plan is, there are times where a living trust may not be the best choice. And Shannon gives us some guidance on how to determine if a trust is right for your family, as well as how that may or may not actually save your loved one's time or money once the living trust goes into effect. Enjoy the episode. Shannon, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Great to be here again. Yeah, so I'm excited about today's topic because as a parent, this was one that I have always had a lot of questions on, so I'm glad we're talking about it. So let's start with clarifying for our listeners. What is a living trust? And I believe also called a revocable trust. So clarify that for us. And why would someone want to set this up? Sure. So this is a really common estate planning tool. Um, It is called, sometimes it's called, the technical term for it is a revocable trust, um, but it's often referred to as a revocable living trust or just a living trust. There's some other names, but those are the most frequently used names. What is it and why do we want one? So by its name, you would say it's revocable, meaning that it's not a permanent trust. So revocable, meaning we can revoke it. We can put things into the trust. We can take things out of the trust. We can change the terms of the trust. We can just do away with the trust altogether. Um, And so that's in contrast to some other types of trusts, which are irrevocable or um, are testamentary. Testamentary means that they're created upon your death. So revocable living trust means it's created while you're living and you're able to revoke it. The main purpose of a revocable living trust is that it avoids the probate process. Probate is the court process that transfers your assets from um, your name into the names of your heirs. And so this sometimes that probate process is pretty easy. It's quick. um, There's not a whole lot of hiccups in it. But in some cases, there can be a lot of hiccups depending on what your situation is, depending on where you're located, whether the courts are, are quick or whether they really are pretty slow. So um, for these reasons, it makes it easier for your loved ones after you pass away to administer your assets. Okay, so... Got it. So the assets are in the trust and then you don't have to go through probate. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So can you clarify for us? Because even though we talk about it on almost every episode, I still can't wrap my head around this idea of probate. So why do we want to bypass probate? Okay. So probate and a lot of people, we, we talk about all of these different estate planning concepts um, and trusts and wills and things like that. But a lot of people just don't understand exactly what happens. So I get a lot of questions about what what actually happens, like what happens, I die, and then what? And the answer is that if you have a will, then the person who's named as your executor in your will, usually they would file the, uh, the will with the court. Most cases, they would call a lawyer and say, this person just passed, I'm an executor, what do I need to do? And then the lawyer would take them through everything that they needed to do to make sure they fulfill their responsibility. So the executor has a legal responsibility to file certain documents with the court and make sure people, certain people get notices and the assets are transferred properly. That person cannot act 
unless they have the approval of the court or until they have the approval of the court. So that person, the, the court may, for some reason, not appoint them. That's rare, but it does happen. Sometimes if they are not qualified to be an executor, for example, in New York, you have to be a U.S. resident to be an executor. So if that person is not a U.S. resident, then they don't qualify to be an executor. So the court wouldn't appoint them. And then the other uh, reasons why it, it can be a holdup is just the courts are backed up. And so that could result in a lot of delays. That's something you're seeing right now because we are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic. The courts were shut down for a number of months. And unless there was a true emergency, you really just couldn't get anything done. So if you have a situation where one person passes away, a parent, and they are they have the bank account and they are the ones who usually pay the bills and pay certain expenses. And all of a sudden they're not there and their bank account is literally locked up. You can't access it. So the surviving parent can't access it. Nobody else, if both parents had passed away, uh, would be able to access it. So your mortgage needs to be paid. Your house could go into foreclosure while you're waiting for the court to act so that you can have access to the funds. You, you know, if your kid's school tuition needs to be paid. All kinds of bills that needs to be paid can go unpaid and it could have some really um, dramatic consequences. Okay. So basically we want to make it as easy as possible for the executor to execute your wishes and to make sure that the funds go where you intend if you unfortunately pass. Okay. That's, that's good to know. We, we want to stay out of the courts if possible, right? Yeah. Generally we want to stay out of the courts. Again, sometimes the courts the court process is not that difficult, um, but it can be depending on your circumstances and depending on where you're located. Okay. So you're creating a trust, but then there's this concept of the trust has to be funded. So what does that actually mean? Yeah. So this is a bit of a catch with these revocable living trusts. And it's where sometimes they People set them up, but they don't actually serve any purpose. And that's because in order for the trusts to be effective in bypassing probate, either the assets have to be left, they have to be left to the trust through a beneficiary designation. For example, life insurance, you can name the trust as the beneficiary. Or you would transfer assets into the trust so that the trust actually is the owner of the asset. So An example of this would be your house. You own your house outright in your name. And if you want the, if you pass away, then the house has to go through the court process of probate in order to get to whoever you're leaving it to. If you transfer the house by a deed, basically you have to record a deed to transfer the house into the name of the trust. Once it's in the name of the trust, then if you pass away, whoever is the successor trustee in the document they now have control over the house and they could sell the house if they needed to. They don't have to wait for the court to act. But if you don't go through that process, that funding process of transferring assets into the trust or naming the trust as the beneficiary, then the trust is a, you know, it's, it's really not doing what it's intended to, to do. Got it. So you need to set up your trust, but then you need to go through each of these different assets and transfer them into the trust or account for them. So you've touched on this a little bit, but can you clarify for us what would go into this living trust and which assets would not? So in most cases, you're going to 
uh, I like to do it so that you leave assets to the trust through a beneficiary designation. So if you have an investment account, um, you can leave it to the trust through, uh, maybe they have a beneficiary designation that the financial institution will allow you to use, or um, what we call TOD or transfer on death provision. And that uh, sometimes is applicable for a bank account or a checking account or something like that. And then you can name the trust as the beneficiary in that case. That's the easiest way to do it because there's just less paperwork involved. You're not actually transferring anything. You're just naming a beneficiary. So that's generally a lot less paperwork. If you can't name a beneficiary, and sometimes certain bank accounts, that's not an option. And then also for, for example, real estate, you can't name a beneficiary in most states as the, uh, for your house. That's not something that that's an option. So what we have to do then was we have to retitle those assets in the name of the trust. And it is a little bit more of more administrative work. And uh, and especially if you have to transfer a house, then you have to pay for the deed and for it to be recorded. Got it. And is there anything um, that that would not be either transferred into that trust or would the the trust wouldn't become the beneficiary of for example is there is there anything that doesn't doesn't get to live within the trust now that we're taking care of our assets um so one of the assets that we don't put in there is the uh an IRA uh, or a 401k you can't actually transfer that out of your name so um so that just simply can't be transferred you can name the trust as a beneficiary of an IRA or a 401k. You just want to be really careful about doing that. You want to know that if you that that trust has specific provisions to maintain the tax benefits of an IRA or a 401k, because otherwise, if you leave it to a trust, it could um, end up having adverse tax consequences. Okay, that's that's all really good information. Now you touched on this a little bit, but what happens if someone passes and their assets are not in a trust? Versus if someone passes and their assets are in a trust. Is there anything we haven't covered yet? Sort of the pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, the the big thing is that if they're in the trust or left to the trust through a beneficiary designation, then it bypasses probate. Automatically, whoever is managing your, your assets, they automatically will have control over them and be able to manage them, do whatever needs to be done with them. If you they are not in the trust, then it goes through the court system, which means it goes through the terms of your will. And that just requires authorization from the court. And it often ends up in the same place because what we refer to often for the revocable living trust, um, lawyers often refer to that as a will substitute, meaning that it has sort of the same purpose of the will in terms of transferring your assets. It's just done outside of the court. So Often it ends up in the same place that it would if it went through probate, but it just is a lot easier on your family. Got it. Now we we've talked about the will and naming your beneficiaries, and you've also mentioned that in terms of trust. So where are you naming these beneficiaries? Because I could see a will saying one thing, then you set up a trust. There needs to be consistency. So how are we dealing with beneficiaries when you have both the will and possibly a living trust as well? Sure. So the beneficiary designations are going to trump whatever your will says. And in fact, as it will trump whatever your trust says as well. So whatever you have as the beneficiary designation, that's always going to be for that particular asset. It's going to be where it ends up. Um, so that's regardless of whether you have a trust or a will. Okay. And so if we've named the, the trust as the beneficiary, 
how are we then saying who that goes to in our family? Is that named in the will or is that specified within the trust itself? That's specified within the trust itself. So that's why I say it's like a will substitute. So the things that Ah. would be in your will are are actually in your trust. So if you said, I want to leave this to my aunt Susie, then um, instead of it being your will saying that, your trust would actually say, I leave this to my aunt Susie. And we would still do a will because just in case assets were left out of the trust, like I said, if you don't put them into the trust, then they don't get there and that they're not going to bypass probate. So what we would do in that case is we have a will that says everything goes into my trust. I leave everything to my trust. So that way, if there's anything that's left out, it still goes into the trust. It's just that it has to go through the court process. And we call that a pour over will because it pours over into the trust. There are just so many pieces of this. This is why we need this show and also lawyers to help us with this because this can be very confusing. Now, in the unfortunate circumstances that parents have passed, especially when you still have kids at home, this is obviously very stressful. Um, Death is not positive really at any time, but when you have kids involved, it's even more important. So having the appropriate manager and the person to follow through with all these wishes is really important. So what do we need to know about choosing a manager for our trust? Um, So the manager is actually would be the title of that would be the trustee, the trustee Trustee, is the person who manages the assets. So you want to pick somebody who would, um, is responsible, is financially responsible. They don't have to be, you know, some kind of investment whiz or anything like that. They just have to be able to balance their checkbook and make sure things are in order, whatever needs, even when you're doing the trust, you want to keep records, What, what has gone where. If there's any expenses, you want to track those. So you just want to pick somebody who's financially responsible. And then there's this can be, this gets into a a whole other area of like when you leave the assets to kids. And in most cases, we're going to leave that in a trust. So basically, that living trust then becomes another trust, which is held for the kids. And it's the same document. So it's sort of the same thing, but it's sort of just, conceptually different. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yes, it does. And we're going to get into the other types of trusts on another episode. But that leaves me with a question. Should your trustee be separate from your beneficiaries? Should you choose someone who is not sort of getting anything from your trust or your will? Or does that matter? Well, when you have, if you have young kids, often you're leaving everything to your kids. So it's not, especially if they're young, you're not going to choose them as the trustee. They they yeah. aren't even legally capable of doing that until they're 18. Um, but I, I would say even an 18 year old, I wouldn't name them as, as a trustee. But, you know, the a trustee legally has an obligation to follow the terms of the trust. And there are some um, checks on that. So the, the other beneficiaries are able to see what has happened with the trust. They're entitled to any records of any financial records or transactions. So even if you have somebody who is also inheriting something from the trust, you can still name them your trustee. Sometimes people just like to have a third party who's not involved at all in terms of who gets what so that it's a more uh, emotionally neutral person so that you don't want to have family squabbles or things like that. So having a third person can just take the emotion out of it. Right. I could also see that for our listeners who are maybe thinking about their parents and their living trusts. And maybe if you have siblings and there's some contentious relationships, maybe it makes sense to have um, an impartial third party be the trustee on that particular living trust. So that's that's good to know. Now, I'm curious, are there situations where you wouldn't need or wouldn't want a trust? For example, you rent 
property rather than owning because trusts are sounding very important, but I also don't want our listeners to think, oh no, I don't have one if maybe not everyone really needs one. So what do you think on that? Yeah. In my opinion, if you have minor children, it's a good idea to have them. That's because for probate with minor children can be complicated and becomes more lengthy. For example, in in the state of New York, what's called a guardian ad litem is appointed anytime children are involved and they are inheriting something. So uh, that's a straight, complete stranger. A court appoints somebody who's a complete stranger to represent the interests of your children. And assume we assume that you've already provided for your children, right? This is the whole point of, of doing a will or doing a trust. So um, that becomes more expensive. Again, it takes more time. And so I would recommend if you have young kids and anything's going to kids, in New York at least, and these rules vary according to state, I, I think it's best to have a revocable living trust. That being said, a living trust is not cheap. You know, as I've gone through all of these different iterations and aspects of it, it's really not a do-it-yourself project. So I would say if you are on a shoestring, and you're not at a point where you can afford doing to do a living trust and hire a lawyer to do that, then that's something you can cut back on. Because overall, you want to make sure that, you know, it's still, the assets are still going to be where they're supposed to go, um, but it might not get there as quickly. There are also some workarounds. So sometimes when I'm working with some families that don't have so many assets, what we'll do is we'll take part of the life insurance. And we'll direct that to the guardian as like, so we'll say like the spouse is the primary beneficiary. And then the secondary beneficiary, we'll just have like a little bit of that life insurance go to the guardian directly. So it's available immediately. So that means that there's not a situation where the mortgage can't be paid, the rent can't be paid, any of those expenses that they need to be, that need to be taken care of immediately that the guardian has the money to be able to do that. And then in the meantime, they can hire the lawyer to go through the whole probate process and get the, you know, have a, get the assets to where they need to be. Got it. I think that's helpful to know. Workarounds. Yeah. And this is clearly important, but like you said, if, if you're really going to stretch yourself, things can be accounted for elsewhere in the will. But you brought up kind of my last big question is that yes, trust can be expensive, but I, part of the thought is that you're saving the money on the back end for, or the front end for the people on the back end, right? That they're able to avoid going to courts and, and dealing with assets in that way. But is that always the case? Can you clarify if that's really sort of a true belief? Because I hear that a lot and I'm not actually sure if that's accurate. In most cases, it's accurate. Okay. But sometimes if you just have a will and one spouse dies and says, everything goes to my my spouse say, and maybe you don't have any children, then they, then you could do that just through a beneficiary designation and you don't end up having to go, have a, a will in place. And some, some counties and even within New York state, it varies by county. So for example, New York County, which is Manhattan is pretty quick. We get a turnaround from them within a few weeks. Whereas in Kings County, which is Brooklyn or Queens County, we are waiting months and months. So it really varies just kind of depending on where you are. But if you are in a jurisdiction where 
it's, you know, the, the courts are, have a pretty quick turnaround, then the probate process doesn't need to be a nightmare, especially if things, if you don't have young children involved. Okay. That's good to know. And um, what I'm hearing throughout this conversation, not only is it advisable to have a lawyer help you with this particular piece, there's some things you can DIY, though we don't always recommend that. Um, But this especially, you want to have a lawyer involved and you really want to make sure that you're aware not only of your state, but what happens in your county as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, in New York, it's if there's minor children involved, it's, I, I think it's always best to have the living trust. And that's particularly true because the guardian ad litem needs to be appointed, even if just one parent passes away. So it's not like in another state, that might not be the case. Right. So th- that's where the variation really comes into play. And where in one place, it might be better to have the trust and other ways, others, it's, it's not as important. I would also say like a state like California, it's super expensive to go through probate. That's just a notorious in terms of among estate planning lawyers. It's just, if you're in California, you always do the living trust. But most states, it's not necessarily that, that big of a difference. And in some states, it can actually be, have tax consequences of having a living trust. So you really want to talk to a lawyer in your state to make sure that it's in the best interest. Okay. Well, that's, that's really helpful. So as we wrap up today's show, what are two or three takeaways for our listeners on living trusts? Sure. Um, so I think that the takeaway is that it makes things easier on your family in most cases, but it's also important to fund the trust. So if you are going to set the trust up, you want to make sure it's funded and you want to work with a lawyer to make sure all of those things are in place. So you really should work with somebody who's going to take you through that whole process so that when you're done, everything is taken care of. And then I would also say that in some cases, it's more important than others. So like I said, in certain states and certain localities, it's more important to have the trust than it is for others. Other situations where it's important is if you have family members overseas or people who are inheriting who are not in the US, um, if you have property in multiple states. So there are certain situations where the trust it really makes a big difference. And then in other cases where it might just make a small difference. Well, those are great takeaways and great information. And on a future episode, we will get into some of the the other types of trusts, including if you have children with special needs, they're also special needs trusts as well. Is that right? Yeah, there's special needs trusts, there's trusts for taxes, there's a whole, you know, trust is a, is a whole animal in and of itself that we can spend many days talking. About. Okay, we, we will get into it. We will get into it for our listeners. But this was great information on living trust today. So Shannon, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Sarah. Shannon has once again shared so much important information about this area of the estate plan. For further information on living trusts and to join our free community and get our newsletter, visit us at thesavvyparent.us.